We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Oh my gosh, it's Tyler. His Manscaped ads are so good. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I know, but today isn't about jokes. It's about love making tips from yours truly. Look, do you think my girlfriend has stuck with me for six years now because of my dashing good looks, amazing family, great grades, and excellent gift-giving ability? Well, yeah. But I also have another trick up my sleeve, or well, down my shorts. This one-inch wonder looks and functions incredibly well due to the use of Manscaped trimming and grooming products. Guys, if your junk is looking a little more Brian Dable's beard and a little less like the top of Brian Dable's head, consider taking care of that. Valentine's Day is around the corner. Get your junkie ready for the funky, and if it doesn't improve your Valentine's Day lovemaking, just remember, it's Gabe Neighbors' fault somehow. Use the code GUILTY for 20% off your next order. Or don't. I get paid for this ad either way. What's up, everybody? We are coming to you right after the Super Bowl, the the snooze fest that is, that was today's game. <laughs> um, you know, I know Alex is going to hate this, but Tom Brady was already the goat, and now this was just kind of gravy on top. Uh, we're going to talk about that game. Um, you know, I had a good time watching the game. What about you guys today? Uh, I mean, it was a ugly game. Um, you know, I'm a Brady hater, but. More than anything, I was just hoping for a good game. And it was just like, all right, Mahomes is going to have to run for his life the whole game because he doesn't have his two offensive linemen. And <laughs> that was just how the game played out. Um, it was a good game for Leonard Fournette and Gronk. Uh, I, I like seeing them kind of get into it. But other than that, it was just like it became clear, really, like the first possession of the third quarter. It's like, all right, this is going to get ugly. So, yeah, I guess everyone should get out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, wish it was a little bit more entertaining. All I can say is that I'm sitting here like the Willy Wonka meme going, (laughs) 
tell me more about how you want to draft Jalen Waddle at 13 <laughs> over an offensive lineman. Yeah. You know, honestly, like, you know, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted it out and a bunch of other people too. You know, the major takeaway for other teams is you got to invest in the offensive line because, you know, the, the Chiefs had several chances last year to invest in, you know, they could have taken an offensive lineman. Instead, they took Clyde Edwards-Alaire. They could have mm-hmm. taken an offensive lineman, and instead they took Willie Gay Jr., the linebacker who wasn't playing tonight. And, uh, you know, it's extreme circumstances, right? Because there are two offensive tackles that normally start. We're both out today. But, you know, having a, a first-round draft pick to be able to step in for Eric Fisher would have been really nice tonight <laughs> against, you know, the Buccaneers pass rush. So, um, and, and there were some people tonight that were like, oh, what if, the, what if Tom Brady chose the Chargers? Chargers probably wouldn't have made the playoffs because the Chargers don't have Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, Donovan Smith, and Tristan Wirfs. So <laughs> that would have been really, really ugly, not to mention the coaching staff differentials. So uh, don't allow your mind to think about that scenario very often uh, for very long, okay? Because it just would not have not have ended well. The Chargers won and the Bucks won. They both won by going where they went. Yeah. And I mean, you couldn't ask for more. Would it be nice to have a Super Bowl? Sure. Would they have won it with Tom Brady? Hell no. Would much <laughs> rather have Justin Herbert on this team yeah. than Tom Brady for two years on this team. Yeah, um, I, I don't think there's any revisionist history of the decision to go to the Bucks. No. I mean, I was adamantly against it, you know, when, you know, that was in con- under consideration just because this team wasn't a quarterback away. Uh, this team had a lot of more issues that they needed to fix. We saw mm-hmm. those come to light during the season. Uh, and yeah, so they wouldn't have won with Tom Brady. And I, I totally think it's the right direction to go forward with Justin Herbert and hopefully draft an offensive lineman in the first round like Tristan Wirfs this year. Uh, the, I think the Bucks picked Tristan Wirfs at 13 last yep, year. They right? sure did. Uh, so maybe we got to get our own Tristan Wirfs this year. Yeah, you know, I think they absolutely should. Um, you know, obviously we talked about the Orlando Brown situation all weekend long. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the most likely thing is that Tom Stolesco uses all nine of his draft picks uh, and probably should draft three offensive linemen at minimum <laughs> and preferably two <laughs> in the first two rounds. Yep. Um, cause this offensive line needs a lot of work. So, uh, we have a fun show for you guys today. Obviously, you know, we were just barely talking about the Super Bowl. Uh, we have two interviews. Obviously, if you are listening to us on YouTube, you already watched the Daniel Popper interview. Uh, if you haven't yet, go check that out. Uh, so we're going to transition that to that now for our audio audience. Um, so we had a really good time, Alex and I interviewing Daniel Popper. Uh, and here it is, guys. Take a listen. Hey, guys, welcome back. Alex and I are so happy to be joined now by Daniel Popper, who obviously covers the Chargers for The Athletic. Uh, just did a great Q&A today, has, has uh, put out some great stuff for the Chargers over the past uh, 18 months or so, and super happy to have him on the show. Daniel, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem. And uh, I will say, if you haven't read his handbook that he just tweeted out or just published uh, a few days ago, you definitely need to go check that out. He's got all the details about cap space and all that good stuff. Um, Daniel, I want to start with this. You've obviously had a few, you know, we've all had a few weeks now to digest the coaching hire and what the Chargers are getting in Brandon Staley. I think it's shocked a lot of people. Um, what do you think the Chargers are getting in Brandon Staley now that you've had some time to, to think about that hiring? Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, you're getting a forward thinker. I mean, the word that, that Dean Spanos put into his statement was was innovation. And, and that's what they're looking for here. And that's really what this hire was all about. 
Um, now, Brandon Staley doesn't have a lot of experience, but everywhere he's been, he has innovated from a defensive perspective, and that sort of came to fruition um, and blossomed last year with the Rams. I mean, having pieces like Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, two guys that, as he said in his press comments, they're going to play well for anybody, but it's about can you get those elite players to play their absolute best for you? And the way he did that is by being innovative, building his defenses around what his players want to do and what they do best. It's not really this novel concept, but he really believes in it and put it into action. I mean, when he was designing his scheme and his coverages on a week-to-week basis, he was starting with Jalen Ramsey, which makes a lot of sense. Like, it's intuitive, right? He's the best freaking corner in the league. You got him. So why not start there, figure out what you want to do with him, and build everything around that? But a lot of these coaches are so married to specific schemes and specific systems that they like to run. I mean, the Chargers fans have been through it the last four years with Gus Bradley. Um, Now, that scheme can be successful, but he was very married to a specific philosophy, and he wasn't really going to deviate from that. Brandon Staley comes from a specific tree with Vic Fangio, obviously, and technically runs a 3-4, but he's willing to adapt it and mold it around his players. Um, And I think that's what the Chargers are looking for, an innovator uh, and a guy who's going to think outside the box in terms of how he's scheming on both sides of the ball. Um, I think on top of that, they got a guy who – has a good understanding of both sides of the ball. Um, they're not bringing in somebody who uh, is particularly one-sided. Now he's been a defensive coach in the league, but he played quarterback yeah. in college. And so he's a guy, who, you know, one of the things that has allowed him to be successful as a defensive coordinator and a defensive coach is he thinks about the game from a quarterback's perspective. Now, all these things are outside the box. It's different. Uh, you know, you have all of these innovators in the offensive side between Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, you know, all these offensive coaches, Matt LaFleur, a lot of them from the same tree running the same kind of stuff. Um, but you don't have those kind of people on the defensive side of the ball, people that are thinking outside the box. And what Brandon yeah. Staley looked at was, okay, everyone's playing single high. That's what the cover three system that Gus Bradley ran. It's what Seattle had success with. It's what Robert Sala ran in, in, with the 49ers. And he said, well, now offenses are being created to try and beat single high with a lot of this play action and crossing routes. Crossing routes are very difficult to cover when you only have one safety back there. So he's like, let's, while everyone's zigging, let's zag. Let's play a ton of too high. And it's really Vic Fangio's idea, but he fleshed it out with the Rams. And so he's thinking ahead. He's like, how do we get ahead of these offensive innovators to create a defense that can stop where a lot of these offenses are going? Even what Brian Dable was doing in in Buffalo, a lot of crossing routes, a lot of that kind of stuff, play action stuff to beat these single high systems. Um, So I think that's what they got is an innovator now. And I'm sure we'll probably get into this. He talks a big game with analytics yeah. and I respected his answers to the questions. He obviously has an understanding of what it is and it's just additional information. And he seems willing to take in that extra information and make decisions. Um, now, how by the book is he going to be in terms of analytics? Is he going to trust these win probability models um, or is he going to be a gut feel guy? We don't know that, you know, he kind of couched it and said, you know, you have to have a little bit of, of feeling, and a little bit of context when you're looking at the numbers, which I agree with, but there are certain scenarios where you just have to trust the numbers in fourth down situations and two point conversion situations. So we'll see, we'll see if he's forward thinking in that area, but from a schematic perspective, he's forward thinking and you're getting a guy who's a great relationship builder. And he's going to build a collaborative environment with this team where he's going to listen to Derwin James and he's going to listen to Joey Bosa and he's going to listen to Justin Herbert and be like, what do you guys want to do? Tell me what you do well. And I'm going to create the systems around you and I think that's a brilliant way to go about it we'll see if he's able to execute yeah I think there's definitely a midway like you were talking about uh between say what Anthony Lynn thought about analytics and maybe uh you know overthinking analytics uh like you know 
certain managers who pull their pitchers in game six of the World Series, per se. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, I, so I wanted to ask you about analytics as well, because I read your uh, Q&As that you do over the athletic and you come up with some of these crazy percentages you know the percentage that trade turner is cut on a scale of zero oh. to <laughs> I, ha- I just have to ask you what's the algebraic formula that you're using for these uh percentages that's proprietary <laughs> i can't share that information with you so, so what it really is is me like trying to get to every single question in an hour and oh. whatever the first number that whatever the first number that pops into my head I'm like, okay, is it greater than 50% or lower than 50%? And then I just throw a number out there. There's no, unfortunately, I, I wish I had some formula to give you. I wish it was the scientific process. It's not. I'm just like, yeah, he's probably going to get cut. Let's throw a number out there. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm. <laughs> you know, obviously, that, that whole thing was a lot of fun. And I do think that does make a lot of sense. And we'll get to that. Um, in terms of, of the quarterbacks, Coach, because I think a lot of people, specifically Chargers fans, were – well, you got to keep Pep Hamilton. You got to keep Pep Hamilton. And Justin Herbert today, you know, he was like Pep Hamilton was the first person that he credited in, in helping ease the transition. So, what do you make for, of the Chargers going from Pep Hamilton to Shane Day? Who I, I'm a big believer in what you know having that Shanahan system can do for Justin Herbert and having somebody who's got that big time experience in that system can do. Uh, so, what do you make from going from Pep to Shane Day? Yeah, I don't think it's like this indictment of Pep Hamilton. Like a lot of people are kind of framing it that way. Like, oh, the Chargers didn't like what Pep Hamilton did. It's just, a, it, and I said this in the Q and A. It's like when you hire a new head coach, he's going to want his guys. Like that, just regardless yeah. of what you know, whether you're talking about the NFL sports or even further, like anybody that's starting a business is going to get people that they know and trust, right? To bring in people that they can rely on, people they know how they think, know how they problem solve there's a compatibility compatibility that's already in existence. Like that makes sense. Like if I was starting a business, I wouldn't bring in a bunch of random people. Like I'd bring in the people that I trust that I know that I think are smart. And it's the same thing when you're making a coaching staff, like you want to have your hands in every facet of the organization uh, in terms of the coaching staff. And, and so you're going to bring in your guys and bring in people who trust. I don't think it says anything about the job Pep Hamilton did. You know, all those offensive coaches did a great job. And that includes Anthony Lynn. Like, let's not forget that this guy was the head coach. Like you, you don't develop a quarterback by accident. Like Anthony yeah. absolutely had a hand in Justin's development. Like they spoke one-on-one all the time. And so I think a lot of people overlook it. I think a lot of people look, a lot of fans say, well, it was all Pep. It was not all Pep. It was Pep. It was Shane. And it absolutely was Anthony too. They all had a hand in it. Um, and they all deserve credit for, for developing Justin Herbert. But moving to Shane Day, like I think the interesting part about this offensive staff that Staley's building is he's kind of bringing in guys from different systems that have all come from the same kind of tree. Obviously, Joe Lombardi, you get a guy from the Sean Payton system. You get a guy from the, who's with the Saints for 15 seasons. That's one of the best offenses in football. Um, their tight ends coach is with the Packers. So you get the LaFleur branch of the Shanahan tree. Shane Day, you get the Kyle Shanahan branch of yeah. the Shanahan tree. And then you have Brandon Staley, who was working directly with Sean McVay. You know, another guy from the Shanahan tree that has, only, has put his own twist on it. You know, all three of those guys were with Washington. In 2012, McVeigh, LaFleur, and Kyle Shanahan all working under Mike Shanahan, which is where all this comes from. So you can tie all, bring all these ties together. But I think he's doing a good job of bringing coaches in from successful NFL staffs. Um, and you're going to get a lot of different ideas in there. You're going to get some Shanahan stuff, but then you're also getting a guy who was heavily involved in the same success offensively, a guy who worked very closely with Drew Brees. But I think you're bringing in a lot of these really good offensive minds. People have been around these systems that are working in the NFL. Um, and the one thing I will say about the Shanahan system, like they were doing some of this stuff last year. 
Like this yeah. new offensive system that they implemented last year that Anthony implemented with Shane, um, that was a lot of Shanahan stuff. I mean, it was wide zone. It was play action off of that, a lot of bootlegs, you know, high play action percentage. Like it was a lot of these concepts and elements that you find in the Shanahan system. Obviously, Anthony played for Mike Shanahan, so he's familiar with the wide zone system. James Campen was a guy who's coached the, the wide zone a lot of his career in Green Bay. Um, so you kind of you had the beginnings of it. So I don't think this, you know, a lot of people are talking about, oh, you know, is Justin going to be able to learn a new system? Is that going to be a drawback? It's going to be similar stuff. Like, yeah. I don't think you're, you're not changing, um, you know, trees necessarily. Like a lot of it's going to overlap. Now, Joe Lombardi is going to obviously bring some stuff from the Saints, but I think you're going to get this interesting system where you've got a lot of different ideas from a lot of the most successful offenses in the NFL. And that's a reason to be excited for sure. Um, so, yeah, obviously the Chargers have made the you know biggest decision of the offseason, which is the uh, coaching call. You wrote a great piece in The Athletic kind of breaking down the salary cap, uh, free agent signings, the draft. Uh, what do you think is the single hardest decision the Chargers have to make this offseason? That's a really good question. Um, for, so I'd say there's probably two of them. They got to decide if they want to pay Hunter Henry top of the tight end market money. Yeah. Um, now, there, it could, there could be a scenario where Kyle Pitts is there at 13, right? And this guy, I mean, if you read anything about the draft, like this guy is legit, you know, obviously you watch him play at Florida, but like a lot of people are saying this guy is going to be a legit tight end. You can get a cheaper option if he's there at 13. Obviously, I, you know, if you've read any of my stuff over the last like few months or have watched me on a podcast listen to me on a podcast or whatever, you know, I think they should go offensive line. Absolutely. Um, but is, is Hunter Henry worth $12 million a year? Let's say that's a tough question. I personally think he is. I think, I think Hunter is a fantastic player and I would pay him top of the tight end market money because I think he is a, a top five all around tight end in this league. Like I genuinely believe that. And he was able to stay healthy this past season. I think he's underrated as a run blocker. I mean, you know, when Bill Belichick is trying to poach a guy that that guy's a good player, especially at the tight end position. So um, I I think, I mean, I I think they're going to pay him. I'd be surprised if they let him walk, but I think that's a decision that you have to make. Um, They're going to have to make decisions with the cuts. I think like to me, cutting Trey Turner is a no brainer because whenever you see, like you look at a cap sheet and you see zero dead money with 10 plus million dollars in savings. Like unless yeah. that guy's a pro ball, all pro level play, like you're going to cut him. Like it's just how it works. And Trey Turner was far from that last season. Now, obviously he was hurt, missed time. But I mean, if you watch the tape, he was not good at all. And so that leads me to believe they're going to cut him. The tougher decision on that side of it, as far as cap casualties, is do you cut Casey Hayward? Because it makes a lot of sense financially. You save close to $10 million in cap space if you cut him. He had an off year. Um, I will absolutely agree with anyone that says that, but he was nicked up. Like he was dealing with a lot of injuries and he did not look like himself. He did not look healthy last season. Um, So they kind of have to decide, do you cut Casey, save the money and maybe try and find a replacement uh, in the free agency? I've looked through the free agent cornerbacks. No one really excites me there. A lot of guys as old as Casey Um, or do maybe do you try and, and draft somebody, but you know, I'm still, diving into the draft stuff, but from what I've gathered, there's some elite guys at the top. The depth at corner isn't particularly great. Yeah. Um, so maybe you run into an issue where you can't really replace him. Now on top of that, Michael Davis is also a free agent 
And he's going to like, he's going to have some interest, you know, our shield Kapadia had him in the top 50 for agents available. Like you're, he's going to, you're going to have to pony up some cash to bring him back. You know, young guy, really athletic skill set. started to show some ball skills, started to make some plays. His coverage improved. I still think thought he was a little bit inconsistent, but you're seeing that growth. You're kind of seeing that athleticism, that speed kind of match where his technique is and where his fundamentals are and where he is in coverage. And you're trying to, you're starting to see that marry. And, and so, um, you know, you cut Casey and then you have to, and then you have to resign Michael Davis. Right. So you go down this rabbit hole of whether it's, it's a good idea or it's a bad idea. Um, you know, that would be a tough decision, but I think you have to consider it because of the money that you could save. So those, are the, those are the two I'd throw out. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's spot on because, you know, the, in, especially this offseason, I know the chargers are in a good space right now with their cap, but it's not like, you know, they, they're swimming in cash right now. Nobody really is in the league. Obviously, it's not as bad as the, the Jags same. are. The Jags are. That is true. That the is Jags true. have like a bajillion dollars in cash. Yeah. The one thing I will add, though, that I didn't I didn't get into that piece um, that Alex mentioned, mentioned is uh, because the Pelisteros report came out the day after. But there are rumblings that, um, you know, this cap isn't going to be near the floor. So I'm work that piece. I was working off what's what over the cap is projecting, which is 176, which would be a, a million over the floor, which is 175 million. Yeah. Now, if it ends up, and I think I mentioned this in the uh, live community today, but if it, if it ends up at 85, 185, let's say, it's huge. Even 182, you, you go from having maybe 15 million dollars to spend to 22 million dollars to spend, maybe 25 million dollars to spend. And the one thing people have to remember, and I think I mentioned this in one of the pieces I wrote, like. You can you can lower these year one cap hits. Like the year one cap hit is never going to be equal to the average any value. Any yeah. any good negotiator, any anybody that's good with the salary cap, and the Chargers are very good with salary cap. Ed McGuire is the cap guru. He's very good at, at negotiating these contracts and keeping the cap healthy. I mean, you can you can sign a guy for twelve million dollars a year, and his year one cap hit could be five million, right? That's so when good. you're talking about okay, you got twenty five million to spend, it's just what you're subtracting from that is what the year one cap it's going to be. You can defer money to later years. You can set it up so you have escape hatches, um, you know, where after two years, there's no guaranteed money left, all these kind of things. And that's how you end up in a situation where a guy like Trey Turner has 11 and a half million, um, you know, a cap hit next season, but you can cut him and save all of it. You know, that's because there's no prorated signing bonus because the, the Panthers are still paying all that because that's what happens when you execute a trade that the initial team takes on the, the, the signing bonus because they've already paid it to them because they're paid at the beginning of the contract. Um, but so, you know, 25 is a decent number. You yeah. know, they could re-sign their guys and go out and be a little aggressive for agency if they get 25, but it's all relative. Like everyone's going to get that extra 10 million in space, you know? So where it is right now, um, they're in decent shape um, and they can really, you know, you, the cap isn't real. So you can finagle all this stuff <laughs> and make it fit, you know? Like it's yeah. the salary cap is, is not real. I mean, that's why the, that's how the Rams approach it. You know, that's why they yeah. like they just bring it in, bring it on salary. They did it and they paid Jalen. They paid Aaron Donald. Um, and they actually got some relief trading golf for, um, for Stafford. But, you know, a lot of these teams function like that. The Saints are $112 million over the cap. It's so okay. crazy. <laughs> They're going to get under it too. So, you know, Breeze might retire. That gets off the books. You restructure some contracts. You cut a few guys. Boom, boom. You're good. It's not yeah. real. It's easy to, it's easy to make all this stuff fit. I mean, not easy, but like, relatively like it's not something that's a huge concern for these for these front offices because you can just it's so easy to manipulate 
Yeah, it's going to yeah. be really interesting to keep an eye on, on situations like the Saints because, you know, the Saints have like Marcus Williams and that um, I forget his name, the pass rusher that they've got to pay. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I'm with you. I, I saw your comment earlier today in the Q&A about, you know, Joe Thune and Corey Lindsley likely resigning. Like when you have an yeah. all pro talent like that, you're not really letting them go. Like you just said, like you make things work, you keep the good players around. So right. who are some good you know, veteran options that you could see the Chargers signing. You know, I, I know you mentioned John Feliciano earlier in the year. Uh, have you looked yeah. into anyone else that you could? Yeah, I mean, Denzel Good, like he had a great year with Las Vegas. Like that's a guy that I think would make a lot of sense. Um, and then you just, I, I've poked around just to see, you know, who, which guys might be, um, you know, cap casualties. You know, before the Bucks made their run, our Bucks beat writer mentioned that Ryan Jensen might be a cap casualty. He's making a ton of money. That's an auto center could become available. Uh-huh. Um, Donovan Smith also making a lot of money had a little bit of a down year. He could be a cap casualty. Um, so it, it, it's going to be interesting to see because a lot of these teams are going to have to cut guys. So like we can look at the free agents and be like, okay, here's, here are the free agents right now in a typical off season. That's what you're working with. You know, you have your, you have your list of guys that are, that whose contracts are up and that's your free agent pool. It's going to be completely unprecedented because you're going to have a lot of guys that get cut that otherwise in a normal offseason wouldn't. Um, right. And that's where the Chargers could potentially, um, you know, exploit the market. But it's hard to figure out exactly who those guys are. Because uh, like I said, like the, there's a lot of ways to manipulate the cap. So, uh, you know, after, if the Bucks win the Super Bowl, are they really going to cut their yeah their center? You know, like it's it gets a little tricky. Like when I reached out about all this stuff, I did a mailbag on it. It must've been week 12 or week 13. Like the bucks were good, but everyone was like, what are they? It's Brady. Like, so good enough. Weird. like their defense is inconsistent. And now they're in the super bowl. So it's like so weird. a lot can change, but yeah, like I think Feliciano makes a lot of sense. And then um, Denzel good is another guy that it like of the current pool. Like that's a the guy they could, they could sign and plug in right away. And he would be serviceable. But that's the thing with this offensive line. Like you don't even need a pro bowl guy. You just yeah. need like an average dude. You just need somebody who's going to go in there and be fine. And like, and that's going to be an upgrade. Right. Play 16 games and be like an average replacement level player. <laughs> and you're already like improved. And I'm, not, yeah. and I'm not being mean here. Like it's odd. It's like, true. We've all watched the games. Like yeah. I know you guys watch the tape. Like it, like the offensive line was not good enough last year. No. And so yeah. like, you just need NFL caliber caliber players. That's what you need. So, you know, like I got Nick East, Houston's a guy I mentioned, right? You talk about the Saints. I mean, that's a guy that would be a, the be, like probably would have been the best lineman on the Chargers line last year if he was on the team. Like, yeah. and he couldn't even, and he like lost a starting job to Cesar Ruiz. Like, so there will be opportunities to improve it because like they were so bad last season that it won't be that hard to improve and get to at least a replacement level. But it has to be a priority, I and mean, absolutely has to be a priority. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that Sam Tevy is our best offensive lineman. Uh, like, not like without question, right? Like, yeah. it was, it was <laughs> really close. Yeah. And then you look on PFF and it's like, oh, he has a 52.9 grade or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, you know, that's that's been the kind of uh, situation they've been dealing with. Uh, I, I give you a lot of credit because last year you actually called that they were taking a linebacker uh, in the first three rounds uh, when you. Uh, Said they were going to do that, and then Thank they you traded for that. that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, traded, I did call that. <laughs> <laughs> they traded up, and they uh, they went and got Kenneth Murray. Um, 
what do you see them doing, I guess, in the first three rounds this year? Uh, if you had right. to guess right now, sort of by position. So four picks in the top 100, because they're going to get, I, th- I, I think it's going to end up being the 97th pick for yeah. Philip Rivers' contract. Um, I mean, $25 million in AAV, that's going to be one of the top compens- compensatory picks. Um, but we don't, won't know for sure until just before the draft when they announce that. Um, so yeah, you got first round pick, second round pick, and then two thirds, one earlier in the seventies and then one in, uh, the nineties at the end of the round, it's comp pick. Now, what am I answering? Am I saying what I think they should do or what they will do? What you think they will do? Yeah. So I like, I'm not confident that they're going to take an offensive lineman. In the first <laughs> round. Like I'm never confident because that's just not how Tom Telesco has built this team. Yeah. It's just not how he builds rosters. Now, could he have a shift in thinking this offseason, considering he's coming off two straight losing seasons where the offensive line was abysmal? Um, I think it's possible based on the conversations we had with him after the season, the press conferences, like he does. It's the first time he's admitted publicly since I've been on the beat. We got to get more talent there. You yeah. know, it's always been like, we got guys. We feel like guys can improve. Santevi has left tackle feet, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's, listen, we're not good enough there. We got to get yeah. better there. That tells me, okay, maybe we'll see him be more aggressive. Maybe we'll see him spend a first round pick on an offensive lineman for the first time since 2013 when I was still in college. Like, so oh, geez. there needs to be, there needs to be an onus on getting talent yeah. on the offensive line. And the best way to do that in a sustainable fashion is using first round picks on it. So at 13, I think they should take an offensive lineman. I don't know if they will. And like I said, there could be some really good players there. You know, say they cut Casey and Patrick Sertain's there, for instance. Caleb Caleb Fairley's there, the Virginia Tech corner. Um, Kyle Pitts is there, right? Or one of these edge rushers is there, right? Um, the kid from Michigan, Quitty Pie. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I don't even read them, but Quitty Pay, is that how you say it? Yeah. I don't know uh, if that's yeah. how you say it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> made it up. <laughs> um, and then I'm not even going to try and say it, but the kid from Georgia who our uh, Dane Brugler has ranked as his top edge rusher. Um, uh, Aziz a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah, I'm, it's too early to pronounce the names. I'll get There's, him. I'll, there are I'll, so I'll many hard him. names this draft, man. There are so many hard names. It's yeah. wild. I'll get I'll get the pronunciations down. Let's say like March 20th is the deadline I'll put on that. It's there only it's, what is it? it's early February. I got time to get these names down. There we go. The combine is where I start getting the pronunciations. And then by March 20th, I'll have it down. For now, I'm just going to say school and that guy. Everyone knows who I'm talking about. So, but anyway, you know you could have some decent players there and they do have yeah. enough needs where like they could go in a different direction. They got a defensive head coach. He's going to have a big say in what, what they do. Hey, I, I really need this guy edge rusher. Okay. It's your first year. Let's get new players. You want this guy's really going to unlock the scheme. I got, I got some p- th- pieces I can work with, but this guy's a perfect fit, right? That's how this stuff works. So I uh, it, listen, like we like Nuoso at outside linebacker. We can't, we, they don't end up resigning Ingram. We really need like a, an impact guy at outside linebacker. You know, maybe they go out and sign Leonard Floyd, but if that doesn't materialize, maybe we need an edge rusher. We got to go edge rusher at 13. We can work with Sam Tevye left tackle, getting back on a cheap deal, right? But at, you, you can see how the sort of the, the rationalization can go. Um, so, you know, I think to answer the question, the positions are O-line, cornerback, edge rusher. That's what I'm looking at. And I think, like, I would I would personally take two offensive linemen in the top in those top 100 picks that you have those four top 100 picks i take i take two i take a tackle and i take an interior lineman because you just need depth i mean at some point you look at it and you say 
you know, either you're the unluckiest team in football, or maybe you just don't have the offensive line depth that you need to win games in the NFL. Right. Like the Packers still made it deep in the playoffs. They lost their best offensive lineman. Can you imagine a Chargers team weathering an injury like that? No, because they never have the offensive line depth. The Chiefs are missing four starters and they're in the Super Bowl. (laughs) Right. So the point is you just need, you need guys depth wise that can come in and be better than Trey Pipkins. And listen, like I like Trey and I think he's going to develop into a fine player, but right now he's not good enough to be your swing tackle. It's just the reality of the situation. So, you know, you got to bring in more talent. It's just that simple. So I would like, and I think it's possible that they would, they would take two, but I think like if you have a corner available there, that's a possibility. If you have an edge rusher there, that's a possibility. And then offensive line, those would be the three. And then depending on what happens with Hunter, you might have to go get a starting tight end. That's why I think it's so important to get Hunter back is because if you can re-sign him, then you can just get a guy later in the draft as a second tight end that you can kind of develop as opposed to, you know, going into that draft needing a starting tight end, which is never a good scenario. But those are the four positions I throw out. I think they got to address those four spots with those four picks. Tackle, cornerback, edge rusher, interior line, guard, really, because I think they're going to re-sign Feeney. Imagine the Chargers starting Trey Pipkins or uh, Trent Scott in the Super Bowl. (laughs) Right. Oh, man. That would be bad. So we'll, imagine we'll the Chargers out. being imagine the Chargers being in the Super Bowl. That too. Nah, <laughs> yeah, Alex is a part Eagles fan, so I mean he he's got at least something you know mm. going on in recent. Memory. Not really so much anymore. <laughs> right. My uh, girlfriend's right. an Eagles fan. It's uh, it's still it's still alive. It's not that long ago. Yeah, <laughs> there is. you go. So we'll Three get your anniversary here. today. Yeah, there you go. Mm. They built a statue of two guys who are not uh, on the organization anymore. Thanks for reminding me, <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Daniel, get you out up here on this one. Great. Uh, it's just something that I'm super curious about because you know Tom Telesco has placed such a big emphasis on the Senior Bowl in years past. You know, I think la- you know last year, obviously, you had Justin Herbert, you had Joshua Kelly, Alohi Gilman, and KJ Hill all at the Senior Bowl. Do you think because of the lack of a like there, there's going to be a combine, but it's going to be different. There's the pro days are different. You know, there's all these opt outs. Do you think that he's going to look at the senior bowl and be like, I'm just going to go off of all these guys that I have seen play a game recently and put a little more emphasis this year than in years past on, on what happened down in mobile. I think it's possible. I, so I think that I don't think the correlation is that Tom Telesco likes players in the senior bowl necessarily. I think that he likes players with four years of experience in college. Like he likes mature players, guys that are going to come in and be potential leaders in the locker room. Like Drew Tranquil is a great example of that. Like guys that, spent a lot of time in college, have played a lot of football. Like, I think that's what he's sort of looking for. So I don't necessarily think like it's like him getting eyes on guys at the senior bowl. I think that just like the senior bowl obviously has seniors who played a lot of football. That's one thing that he liked about Justin Herbert, guy who started a ton of games in college. And that experience matters. But from a scouting perspective, they're just going to rely a lot more on tape. You know, you typically you'd have, um, you know, you get to scout these guys live and you get pro days and you get the combine and you have all, it's just all these different data points to work off of. There's just fewer data points, you know, and so you, certain things will, will take on greater onus. Um, now, what I do know is they might not put as much stock in um, this past season as a typical year where you'd be like, OK, what did he do this past season? And that's really what I'm focusing on, because the talent was watered down. You had a lot yeah. of guys opt out. I mean, the two best tackles in the draft both opted out of the season, you know? So like it, you know, I think there is a feeling around the league that this college season was a little watered down competition maybe wasn't where it usually is obviously because you have less talent, 
So I think maybe you're going to see a lot of teams focusing, including the Chargers, focusing on the, the 2019 tape to make their decisions. Um, you know, I keep using this illusion, but it's it's a crapshoot. Like it's 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 throwing a dart at a dartboard, right? And the dartboard's usually this big. And now with less information and less access, the dartboard is going to be like that. <laughs> you know, it's like you're going to have a much harder chance of, of hitting the bullseye. Um, and so I think it'll be fascinating to look back at this draft like five years from now just to see if there were more misses in this draft than usual. Yeah. Um, that's That would be – there's a story idea for you five years from now. Really, really helpful. Yeah, really helpful, Pop. Good job. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's going to be fascinating, but it's just, uh, to answer the question, you know, a reliance on, um, on tape. And then I think philosophically, Tom just likes players that have played a lot of games. Yeah. I mean, Tom likes his seniors. And also you, you mentioned, uh, Drew Tranquil, the key is going to Notre Dame. Uh, you got to go to Notre Dame. So, yeah. you know, you have that on your resume and that might yeah. be really helpful this year. Yeah. And I think it's, it's sort of the, the culture and the program that Brian Kelly's built. You know, you find a program that produces good men and you're going to go back to that well in the sixth and seventh round a bunch. Because, like, you know, you can, there's basically two schools of thought with late round flyers. Like, you can just take the freak athletes with the red flags and character issues and all this kind of stuff and see if it plan, pans out. Or you can bring in guys who are going to add a lot to your locker room and guys who are going to have a great work ethic and who are going to be leaders on and off the field. And like, that's what they've gotten in a lot of these guys. I mean, Isaac yeah. Rochelle, look at what he's done off the field. I mean, I was with him in Hollywood at a protest. He's lugging water bottles, passing them out to protesters. Like, you know, and he's developed into a nice player, but that's a guy that you want in your locker room, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think, it, you know, he, Tom Telesco is very diligent about building culture. And so when he finds a school that's producing guys that are good for culture in terms of their leadership skills, um, in terms of how they are off the field, all those kinds of things, their work ethic, I, it makes sense that you keep going back to that well because you know it's it's a known quantity. Yeah, you know I or, will say that. Or, or he finds a school in Sioux Falls that no one's ever heard of and takes. <laughs> Eventually, we'll get over that, man. Eventually, we'll get over that. And I will <laughs> I say, I think he's going to be. Wait, wait. I I said this before. But I genuinely think he's going to be a decent player in this league. Like I really do. He's I got so. he, he he has skills and he's freaking enormous and he moves really well. It's just yeah. his technique is so far behind where it has to be to play in the NFL, it's going to be a process. Um, the question is, is he going to get there before his rookie deals up? You know, that's mm-hmm. really what the question is. But, and he also didn't have an off season last year. Like yeah. so much of improving as an offensive lineman is getting on field reps, hand placement. That's what Trey has talked to me about ad nauseum. It's like getting my hand placement right and getting my set right. You can't practice that unless you have somebody rushing at you. So yeah. not having that time on the field was really, really stunted his development. I think you saw that across the board. Now, it's not an excuse because you had a lot of young players take steps and, and get better. Uh, but I think you saw a lot of that with the Chargers. You know, Kenneth Murray could have benefited from that time on the field, 100%. Nas Adderley needed that time on the field. Trey Pipkins absolutely needed that time on the field. You saw Jerry improve, which is a testament, Tillery, to, to the work that he put in the offseason. You know, he trained his ass off. Um, but I think he could have been taken an even bigger step with more time on the field, you know? So it's just been a crazy offseason. So I like I don't want to knock him too much. Um, yeah, you know he didn't tell Tom Telesco to draft him in the third round, but um, I think I still think he has a skill set to be a good player in this league. I really do. It's just going to take um, some time on the practice field to improve in the technical aspects of the game. Yeah, and hopefully whoever the new offensive line coach is 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 going to be able to come in and do some good things with him. So. Uh, Daniel, this has been fantastic. What do you have uh, that Chargers fans can look forward to over the next coming weeks? 
Oh yeah. All right. Um, so we're going to be doing a like l- full list of every free agent I think they should target. So it's going to be a lot of research. You guys know my stuff. It's going to be thorough. Yeah. Um, look out for that. Uh, we'll see early next week. I'm going to keep nice. it vague. So I have some time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say by Wednesday. How about there that? we go. Um, and then I got, um, just getting going on a Brandon Staley feature, which will uh, you know, dive into his background and, um, his journey going to get into his quarterback history and all sorts of good stuff. So, awesome. um, that's going to take me some time. I want it to be really good. So I'm going to do some, do some reporting on that, but, um, that'll be, uh, on the back burner for a bit, but hopefully I have it in next month or so, but yeah, that's what we got. And lots of off season content. I'll be jumping into everything needs, you know, that, that handbook was just a little primer and then every single facet of that will be diving deeper into it. So, uh, if you aren't subscribed to the athletic, Yes, please do. I promise you, I'm working my butt off to give you the best content I possibly can. Awesome. I, I cannot wait to read that Brandon study feature because you're the Justin Herbert one that you did where you worked with John Beck and got some quotes from him. That was awesome. I thought that was a fantastic piece. Really gave some insight into that. how Justin Herbert was able to kind of have this insane rookie season. And he obviously just got Pepsi rookie of the year. Hopefully by the time this episode comes out, he will have won the actual rookie of the year and uh, can't wait to see what he does in year two. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Chargers fans, make sure you follow him on Twitter and subscribe to The Athletic. It is definitely well worth it, especially for the draft coverage that is coming your way from Daniel Popper and Dane Brugler, as well as a must-follow, in my opinion. Uh, All right, Daniel, thanks so much, and we will uh, see you next time, man. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Alex. So uh, any major takeaways from our interview with Daniel Popper that you can recall? Obviously, I know it was you know, three days ago, four days ago, but uh, any thoughts that you want to mention here about that interview? Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he properly took credit for getting the Kenneth Murray pick, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he did take credit for that. The uh, offensive line, you know, that's just, that was a focus the whole interview. Uh, I felt like, you know, going for that in the uh, first round with the uh, draft question. And um, I think he broke down the the cap situation fairly well and, and sort of where they'll go. Um, but yeah, a lot of offseason decisions and I, uh, I really enjoyed his, um, his article on at the athletic talking about, uh, you know, all, you know, just premiering everything the chargers will have to do in the offseason. Yeah. And, you know, really the big thing there is that, uh, people are expecting maybe instead of having the 175 or $176 million can maybe even get up to 185 or no, I'm sorry, 180 or 181. Um, and so, you know, the chargers could be in good shape. Alex tweeted out. Uh, if it does get up to its highest point, the Chargers could have $30 million in cap space. Alex did a wonderful video on the on the Chargers cap situation on our YouTube channel. Uh, like I said about the popper, if you haven't checked that one out, make sure and check that out. Tyler, any thoughts you want to bring up here about uh, what we were able to talk with about Daniel Popper? Uh, you know, I the interview I didn't listen to. Sorry, guys. I read his <laughs> article instead, and I think there the article go. was great because it broke down everything that I didn't want to do. Everything from the cap space to the draft picks to how much does it cost to pay for your draft picks and whatnot. Yeah, um, I disagree on some of the things, like the idea of, I believe, all three linemen that are free agents returning and Jenkins and Henry and Davis. Um, I just don't think that's yeah. going to happen. That sounds more likely with Anthony Lynn, but far less likely with this new regime. I just can't imagine everyone returns for another go. Right. Um, other than that, though, spot on. Yeah, you know, I, I'm just about to publish an article for uh, LAFB about some some potential uh, free agent targets for the Chargers, and and there's not going to be many big names that you're going to be super excited about because you know my, my intention was to focus more on like 
you know, low key realistic signings that I think yeah. could, could really work out for this team. Um, but I think the Chargers, the majority of their cap space for this year, I think is going to be focused on Hunter Henry mm-hmm. and Michael Davis, and then a Rams free agent to come over, whether that's Leonard Floyd or John Johnson. I think it's going to be John Johnson personally. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not a beat writer. I don't have that inside access, but I do think the relationship with Brandon Staley and John Johnson is going to be enough to sway the Tom Telesco to bring him over and sway John Johnson to come over. Um, so I think those three people are going to get the majority of the chargers cap space, but like Popper pointed out, you know, you can backload, you know, uh, contracts in a way that you can have cap hits, bigger cap hits down the road. And so, could they still go out and get a big free agent besides those three? Sure. I just don't think it's going to happen that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I've kind of broken it down, but like they can actually kind of go after the offensive line pretty hard in a way. Um, the the two people that I brought up in my article were uh, Joe Thune and Corey Lindsley, who are kind of like the top of the interior tackle class uh, in this free agency. I mean, Corey Lindsley costs about seven hundred thousand more dollars per his spot track evaluation than Mike Pouncey did this year. So, like, that's doable, right? Yeah. I mean, nine point seven million versus nine million—that's um, not too bad. And if you cut Trey Turner, you have eleven million right there, and Joe Thune would cost about twelve or thirteen. So, I mean, the money kind of evens out uh, at a point, and you can get two pretty quick uh, offensive line boosts there. Not saying that will happen. Um, but I could certainly see the Chargers going for one of those guys. Um, I mentioned it a couple podcasts ago, but we had the Pittsburgh uh, offensive line coach come over. That could mean Alejandro Villanueva. I, I don't really like that idea, and I know Steven doesn't like no. it either. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I could see that as a potential possibility. Um, I, I really do think Telesco will go after the offensive line in free agency. Yeah. I think they'll also address it in the draft. But, you know, a lot of people go like, oh, well, you know, Balaga didn't work out last year and Trey Turner didn't, but they can get off of Balaga's contract next year and they can get off of Trey Turner's contract this year. Right. Right. So it's kind of very easy to get back into that market. Um, Other than that, with free agency, I think the interesting spots uh, for them will be obviously what they do in the secondary because they have to make decisions with Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, Michael Davis. Um, are all three going to be back next year? Are two? Are is one of them going to be back? Right, like that's uh, a whole kind of carousel. Um, and the thing that I think is interesting is maybe what they do with backup quarterback. Um, I don't know if they're going to go with Easton Stick. Uh, I know that they kind of have let on that they're going to do that, but to me, I think you do need a better veteran backup um, just in case something does happen to Herbert. Um, <laughs> If it's going to be Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp and some of those guys coming back, uh, you better have a better veteran backup than Easton Stick. Yeah, I mean, for as physical and big as Justin Herbert is, we've seen him a couple of times this year go down, go down hard and maybe not get up. So, yes, they do need to address the backup quarterback position. Easton Stick is not a true backup quarterback. I'm sorry for the four of you that believe that's a possibility. <laughs> I just don't, I don't, I don't buy it. Um, as far as Johnson goes in the secondary, I think we've heard Staley talk a couple of times about Derwin James also playing some deep safety. Not that yeah. they're primarily going to put him there, but he can do it. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a waste to leave him there, but he can do it. I think he was his debut game and he covered DeAnthony Thomas, I think, deep. I don't remember if he was a free safety then or not, but that was an impressive play. Yeah. Um, so rotating those two guys would be amazing. 
as far as the corners go, I don't think Hayward is expensive enough to feel like they have to cut. Um, if I were to cut either him or Harris, I would have cut Harris, but it sounds like Staley and Hill and Harris all believe they're going to be together next year. Yeah. But I think Hayward returns. I think Harris returns. Uh, Michael Davis. We'll see. Like you said, Justin Herbert called him a bro for life or whatever <laughs> on his Instagram. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe, um, I don't know when they would have ever hung out, but um, yeah, so that's how I feel free agency will go. And then, they have to do something along one of those three or four spots on the offensive line during the free agency period. They can't go into the draft praying that, you know, Quinn Miners or, you know, um, Hudson fall them in the third round or something. You know, they have to at least have one of those positions taken care of. That's yeah. why I think it's Dan Feeney, because he can give you at least two spots, possibly three along that offensive line. So you're not super stuck when it comes time to the draft. And then when it comes to, comes time to draft them at 13, I think it'll be an offensive lineman, most likely an offensive tackle. I agree. And, you know, to clarify, like, I, I think the Chargers will get some free agent additions yeah. uh, in terms of the offensive line. I just don't, I personally don't think it's going to be Lindsley or Joe Thune. I think Thune's probably staying in New England. Um, and I know the Packers situation in terms of cap is not great. You know, they've got to pay Alan Lazard and Robert Tanyan and, and, and Lindsley, and they've got to figure out whether what they want to do with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, who are both free agents. So, I get that a lot of people think that Lindsley is going to leave and like, sure. Like, I, I think that is possible. Um, I just would lean more towards the Packers choosing him over Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams. And I think, you know, the, the Packers, I, I hope really learned their lesson last year and, and will not be pissing off Aaron Rodgers again by letting, you know, a key player who, you know, he's got a great relationship with Lindsley, uh, and I hope that they, for his sake that and their sake, that they don't uh, let him go. You know, in terms of John Johnson, I know there are some people who would rather see the Chargers invest free agency money, like a big free agency signing in Leonard Floyd. You know, I think signing Leonard Floyd makes a lot of sense. But if you look at like what's happening in the AFC West right now, like you've got to stop the tight ends in the division. Mm. Like that's first and foremost. If you stop Travis Kelsey you have a much better chance of winning uh, against the Chiefs. If you stop Darren Waller, you have a much better chance of winning, beating the, the Raiders. And so I think if you get John Johnson and Derwin James, A, you have insurance in case Derwin James gets hurt again, which was a massive problem this year and last year. And B, you can have Johnson and Derwin James on the field at the same time and be able to have a game plan like they did against the Ravens where you have six, seven defensive backs on the field at all times. And you have really good athletes with, with Kenneth Murray on there as well. And you can be able to shut down the middle of the field that way. And so it, to me, it makes sense football-wise. It makes sense cap-wise. And Brandon Staley and John Johnson, they love each other. They have a great relationship. John Johnson called plays for them last year. So I would like to see Leonard Floyd added to this team. But I think the big name free agent this year is going to be John Johnson. I mean, we saw what Levante David and the Buccaneers safeties did tonight with Travis yeah. Kelsey. Uh, it, it wasn't pretty. No. Uh, and if you do stop him uh, and you get Derwin James uh, or, you know, just find some interesting ways to cover him, uh, it makes the game much more dependent on Tyreek Hill. And then if Tyreek Hill is, you know, doesn't have a 200 yards in the first quarter uh, <laughs> like he did against Tampa Bay the first time, you know, then the Chiefs offense kind of sputters um, like we saw tonight. So, 
Um, obviously, a big reason for them sputtering was, you know, missing their entire offensive line. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just if you do shut down the middle of the field, Kansas City does become uh, a lot easier to stop. And that's going to be crucial. If the Chargers want a chance at uh, winning the division at some point in the future. Man, you guys are really selling me on Johnson now because that sounds <laughs> that sounds great. You know, just watching Derwin James in 2019, final week of the season against the Chiefs, he's covering Kelsey, he's knocking Kelsey down, and then when Mahomes tries to scramble, he's got him. Like there's a yeah. there's a series where he's getting after Kelsey, he's getting after Mahomes, and having another guy like that in Johnson who can call plays, who knows the defense, and should James go down, he can fill in very well. Right. Not, not that he's filling in, but you know, picking up some of the slack, I guess. Um, yeah, you guys are selling me on this one. I think that is one to keep an eye on. I think it is too. And we'll have to see, you know, what the priorities are because everyone knows that, you know, the Chargers have, you know, three areas of, of need this year that, that really trump everything else. And it's offensive line, cornerback and, and uh, pass rush. They got to be able to get something there. I just think it's a little more doable this year to get those problems fixed in the draft and be able to mm-hmm. get some mid-level free agent signings on a guy like Denzel Good from the Raiders, John Feliciano from the Bills, and be able to upgrade the Chargers offensive line. And so we'll have to see, man, because I, I think, you know, you can put a band-aid on the secondary by keeping everybody intact and bringing back Michael Davis, adding John Johnson, adding a little more athleticism and versatility. And then next year, you know, you can take a cornerback in the first round uh, or second round because this cornerback class after Patrick Sertan and Caleb Farley and J.C. Horn it's not mm-hmm. very good. And, and you know, <laughs> to transition to this, we did interview Benjamin Solak, who covers uh, the draft, covers the draft for the draft network, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, most of the guy, most of the big time analysts are not huge fans of this cornerback class. So to me, you know, I, I think it's more likely that they kind of hold hit Harrison Hayward, like Tyler mentioned, bring back Davis and, and basically bring the secondary group back from last year and, and, hope that you know Brandon State is able to work some magic there. Yeah, I I don't know if I agree. I think one of Harris or Hayward is going to be gone. Um just in general, I I think they will try to bring Davis back, but I I don't see them running it back, you know, all at the same time when you have two cornerbacks going on 32 years old. You know, the thing with Harris is he can play the outside regardless of his age. Yeah. Um with Casey Hayward, you're hoping it was just an injury, but He's also, you know, kind of at that point for corners. Um, so I don't know. I, I kind of lean the, with Hayward maybe being a, a surprise cut this year. But um, no, I, and the other thing I was going to say was, you know, we, we talk about the the position groups that need to be improved, but it's also special teams. I mean, that's going to yeah. be huge, I think. Um, in, in my article this week, I mentioned uh, Cordero Patterson being a free agent. I know Tyler brought up that connection uh, with uh, Brandon Staley from Hutchinson Community College. Uh, I think that that's um, that would be an interesting signing just to get an instant all you know special teams all pro kick returner, uh, yeah. and then also you know got to bring in competition for Badgley, right? You know, so Staley keeps mentioning the kicking game, so you better be about it. That sounds pretty realistic too. Bring in Johnson, bring in Cordero Patterson, fix a couple of things, and then just use the draft to focus on your offensive line. The problems are not going to all get fixed this offseason. This team is not. Right a draft. I mean, unless they get extremely lucky, this team is not a draft and free agency period away from contending. I think they can make the postseason with a good team or the good draft, Um, but they need a couple of off seasons. So if this off season is about some tweaks in the return game, getting one prize free agent 
bringing some guys back and then just upgrading the offensive line, that's a step forward. They will probably do better than seven and nine if they just focus on those things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, everyone's going to make the connection from the, from what happened tonight. You know, the Super Bowl next year is in Los Angeles. Uh, don't get your hopes up. It's not happening. <laughs> I don't want to really be a dream does. crusher, but you know, be realistic about your hopes for this season. If the Chargers improve on seven and nine, it's that's a fantastic opening season for Brandon Staley. So um, we'll have to see. But before we get to the Benjamin Solak interview, there were two pieces of news that we got to cover this week. Um, the first one is that Justin Herbert officially won Rookie of the Year. Uh, Vikings fans can weep all they want. I saw a bunch of bullshit about uh, how Justin Jefferson had an elite season and Justin Herbert was just, was an average quarterback. Well, all you can suck it because Justin Herbert is the Offensive Rookie of the Year, best rookie quarterback in NFL history, and I don't care who no, who disagrees with it. The facts are the facts. Justin Herbert deserved this award, and I could not be happier for him and the Chargers because of that, of what happened on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, it has been funny to see PFF consistently post like, oh, he was actually our 14th ranked quarterback. And yeah. Like, All right. Gosh. Okay. Okay, guy. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I thought he totally deserved this award. Um, just the season he had, you know, I keep saying it, but he made this team so much less miserable to watch than it would so have been. Much better, yeah. Uh, and yeah, just the some of the games he had, some of the plays he made with his arm, uh, you know, just the fact that, you know, he had a game against, you know, the Super Bowl champions where, you know, he was going back and forth with Tom Brady, you know, yep. in, in that same stadium. Um, so it, it was great to see him win the award. And uh, I totally think Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, if they had picked him, would have been deserving. Uh, I mean, he had the best statistical receiver season since Randy Moss. Uh, Absolutely. Great games. Um, but, yeah, I personally leaned uh, Herbert over Jefferson for the award just because, I mean, quarterback is – the harder position to play. And also, you know, Justin Herbert got thrown into this whole thing in week two. You know, he always kind of came from a disadvantaged um, position this year in terms of preparation. Uh, so I, I, what I thought he did was just another level of impressive. You know, I like, I think you could look at nine of the last 10 years and I think Justin Jefferson probably would have won rookie of the year um, just based on what he did. But yeah, I, I don't think there was any denying Herbert this year. The way that people are trying to break down this this award and the season that he had. Okay, so, you know, Baker Mayfield just broke the touchdown record two years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. And so that just makes Herbert's less impressive. If I made $100 million last year, and then this year made $101 million, guess what? That's pretty freaking great no matter what. Like, does it, <laughs> yeah. dis- does it discount? Like, I only made a million dollars more than last year, so it's no good. I mean, give me a break. The are we idea pretend that, that are we going to pretend that the guy who didn't have the re- you know the record before Baker Mayfield was Peyton Manning, <laughs> right? I mean, right. Anytime you're doing anything better than Peyton Manning is well, especially if you throw less interceptions than Peyton Manning in the rookie year, yeah. um, you're doing all right. And he is more than deserving of this award. Jefferson is very deserving as well, but it is definitely Justin Herbert's award. He was the front runner. He had been the front runner since I don't know week three or week four, his his third game, yeah. and. He deserves it. The Chargers just put out a, a compilation of all his touchdown passes or touchdown runs this year. I don't think there was a single gimme in there. It wasn't like he was just chucking to wide open guys. There's nobody really scheming these guys open for him. No. Like there's nothing easy. For, it's not like he just dumps it off and 
you know, and Tyreek Hill takes it for 50 yards or whatever. Yeah. You know, he is trying to, he's improvising. He's, he, what he did just on those touchdowns alone is so magical and as impressive a quarterback rookie season as I can ever remember. And just ask Justin, not Justin fans, Vikings fans this. Would you rather have Justin Jefferson moving forward or Justin Herbert moving forward based on the year you just saw? And I would take Justin Herbert, and that's why he wins the award. Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing else that was really cracking me up, uh, first of all, the way that the Chargers social media page attacked PFF <laughs> and everybody else, that was so funny. I loved that they kept all the receipts. You know, everybody that was, you know, out on Justin Herbert in the draft process, they yep. all got brack, bought Brack up. The Chargers social media page wanted all the smoke, and I mm-hmm. loved it. Um, the second thing that was really annoying to me is all the people who were like, just name it a quarterback award. And it's like, okay, please Google who <laughs> has won the award because it's been nine right. running backs in the last 20 years and nine quarterbacks. And before 2000, it was like 17 running backs in a row. <laughs> like this award was a running back award until uh, Peyton Manning won it in 1998. And then after that, it was like, Receiver, receiver, quarterback. But before that, it was all running backs. So, like, your opinion sucks. And it's not based on facts. It's not based on history. Do some research research before you tweet some shit. Especially if you're a reporter and have a verified tag next to you. Be better at your job. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to... I breathed this sigh of relief when my uh, B-minus Herbert draft grade wasn't in the compilation. <laughs> Our entire Zoom call of us going, oh, oh. <laughs> all hey, 20 of us. But the <laughs> difference is that all of us have owned up to that shit. And True. Like, the PFF guys, they still like double down and it's like, well, Joe Burrow's better. And it's like, okay, <laughs> are we going to bring up Joe Burrow now? Like, come on, man. Well, the, the other thing they do is like, oh, well, you know, it's not very sustainable, even though he's done it yeah. over 16 games. <laughs> like, he's going to win three Super Bowls in a row. Like, it's not sustainable. <laughs> he can't win a fourth. Like, I mean, I guess it's not really sustainable, but he yeah. keeps doing it. So you got to give him some credit. I Yeah. Pro football focus. It's like one thing for us to go, you know, we don't feel so good about him. Yeah. You know, maybe we have a second grade on a second round grade on him late first on him, you know, but with time he can get better. And with the right weapons and the right coaching, he can be offensive rookie of the year. For Pro Football Focus to go out and say, he's just sucks. He can't play. He's no I good. Know. Like, <laughs> like I, that just, I don't know. And that's what they get. But that is what they get. That's what you get for trying to, you know, be a, a hype page to try to get the clicks and the views and the retweets and the whatnot is you get the Charger social media account roasting you, absolutely roasting you. <laughs> so I, I love, love that they did that. That their team, that social media team is perfect so good at what they do man so good there were a couple other reporters that were like coming to that guy's defense and were like he doesn't deserve this and it's like well if you didn't have a dumbass take and like flat out say that this mm-hmm. guy who's gonna be a first round pick can't play then he wouldn't be getting this kind of treatment you know it'd be one thing if he were just like hey man like i'm not super concerned like i'm not super into the justin herbert thing yep. yeah so that's what i feel like that's what we were doing personally yeah you know it was just a little misplaced onto Jordan Love, but you know, like we weren't flat out saying like Justin Herbert sucks, he's a bum. Like nobody, there was one person in the clip was like, I wouldn't spend a first round draft pick on Justin Herbert. It's like, are we serious? Like he's at least like the third, fourth best quarterback in the draft and worth a first round pick. Like, what yeah. are we doing here? Anyone? <laughs> no, I um, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think that uh, 
I, I think the thing with him in general or, or PFF in general, I guess, is they don't really like their whole page is just like, yeah, as Tyler said, like a hype page. It's like trying yeah. too hard to like come up with a take, you know, uh, you know, they were the ones who started the whole like, oh, should Dolphins draft another quarterback thing? It's like, no, they shouldn't because they just drafted Tua and the NFL works as you develop a quarterback over time. And yeah. they put out these ridiculous mock drafts. Um, but I, um, yeah, I, I just hope that page becomes a little more sensible and stops trying to be, you know, football nerds version of the <laughs> take. Um, but, you know. Yeah. Unlikely. I don't um, think that'll unlikely. ever happen. I, I, I don't think that'll happen. And unlike first take, credit to Stephen A. because he actually has charisma. Because none of those guys on PFF have an ounce <laughs> of fucking charisma. <laughs> That's so true, man. I don't know how people listen to their podcasts. Like, you know, I respect the amount of like work that goes into grading mm-hmm. and like putting the pressures up and the stats. Because like, I watch the Chargers game. Like, I watch one Chargers game, and I, you know, sometimes I put out clips and stuff like that. But if I don't watch any clips and I'm like taking notes, it takes me like two or three hours. Like if I really sit down yeah. and analyze it. So like, I respect that part of their job, but it's just like when they go on their podcast and dedicate an entire episode to whether or not, you know, the Jaguars should draft Zach Wilson in, instead of Trevor Lawrence, you know, just, <laughs> I don't know if they did that, but that's like the kind of thing that I think they would do. You know, like yeah. Alex mentioned, should the Dolph and they even talked about the they I know they talked about the Bengals drafting a quarterback because yep. of Joe Burrows <laughs> being injured. Like that's not how football works. Like <laughs> you know, so I respect the hell out of their the way that they watch yeah. film and, and put up their grades and stuff like that. It, it's just like what they do on their Twitter page and on their mm. podcast that really just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, like for Justin Jefferson, retweet for Herbert. Like, you know what you're doing. <laughs> you're not stupid. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So enough with the PFF hate, I guess. So the other thing that really happened this weekend, and then after this, we'll get to the Benjamin Solak interview. Um, the Chargers have had their brand new po- their brand new coaching staff post already, and these guys haven't even been in the facility. Like. Joe Barry, I don't even know if he stepped foot in the Los Angeles facility, <laughs> and he's already going to be the defensive coordinator to the Packers. Um, I don't know what Brandon Sadie is going to do at linebacker coach now. Um, you know, there's not really many uh, other built-in uh, relationships that he can go poach. So this is going to be inter- interesting. What do you guys make of Joe Barry <laughs> leaving before he even gets here? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a little bit surprising. I I didn't expect him to get a job that fast. Um, You know, it it seems like Green Bay was really interested in uh, Jim Leonard, the Wisconsin defensive coordinator, and then that fell apart, uh, you know, for whatever reason. But um, so, yeah, I I, you know, I guess Wisconsin is a safer job than than Packers defensive coordinator where the expectations are quite a bit higher. yeah, so I, I did not expect him to get poached uh, in, in the way he did. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's something that could have happened very easily next year, right? Where he, he would have gotten a promotion to defense coordinator if he had a good year in Los Angeles. Uh, so, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, I still would have liked to have him just to see like, oh, you know, what can he do with Kenneth Murray and yeah. some of the talent on the Chargers and Drew Tranquil, right? Because I, I think... Strictly in terms of talent, I think the Chargers have more interesting guys than the Rams do. But, you know, uh, Joe Barry was a guy who got the best out of, you know, guys like Micah Kaiser. 
um, and, and sort of some of those Rams linebackers in general. Um, so I think um, it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go in. Uh, I, I don't know who they can really get for a replacement. Uh, I know Steven mentioned John Pagano uh, on Twitter, which would be interesting. He's and that did not go over well. <laughs> Chargers fans did not like that. Just a linebacker yeah. coach, guys. <laughs> um, he's currently in Denver now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think they would have to promote him. From I don't know if they could promote him from OLB's coach to lb coach i don't know that that doesn't sound like a promotion but they could give him like the title they gave barry which is like passing game coordinator and you know pretend it's a promotion um so i don't know i mean there's some interesting guys who are going to be out there um i'll probably do some more work during the week and like trying to find a guy and i'm I'm sure steven and tyler will too um it's just uh it's unfortunate because i really do think he could have done a great job with it but, you know, he, he's also one of those guys that's so smart and probably would have gotten promoted very fast after this season anyway. Well, you can go ahead and look at all those guys, Alex. I'm sick of looking at coaches and then they just be, <laughs> oh, yeah, Jay Rogers. Who is that guy? Oh, he did this in Chicago and he won this award. That's great. And then he's may or may not be coaching. And then I'll oh, give Smith so this weird. and he's my other. And then I'm like, I'm just when you have an entire <laughs> banner of photos and your entire coaching staff is in a list. Let me know. Then I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> um, as far as I don't know. Okay. So if I don't know, if, is Jay Rogers and Giff Smith, are they still kind of for now on the team? Well, my understanding was that Giff Smith was going to follow Anthony Lynn to Detroit. That was what the initial uh-huh. report said. And that Giff's uh, and that Jay Rogers was going to fill in his spot. Mm-hmm. And then Ronaldo Hill in his press conference is like, yeah, Giff Smith's still going to be around. And he mentioned yeah. like seven other coaches, but not Jay Rogers. So yeah, uh, I would love like a confirmation of, of any coaches that have been hired by the Chargers uh, social media staff. Like that would be amazing. So I have no idea what's going to happen there. Uh, so Google still lists him as the defensive line coach for the Chargers. Yeah. So <laughs> if Smith or Rogers. Uh, Rogers. Uh, I actually, okay. I'll, I'll Google Giff Smith. He's he, he he might still be the defensive court, uh, the defensive line coach for Detroit per Google. So well, I know that GIF is still GIF is still on the Chargers website. I don't know yeah. how much that means, but like I guess one of them could coach outside linebackers, right? I, I yeah. don't, neither of them have spent like significant time coaching the actual linebackers, so I I have no idea. Like, and that's the other thing is John Pagano has mostly done outside linebackers and edge rushers. Like he's never really done like inside linebackers. So they might be doing like, you know, they could get Jay Rogers to coach the outside linebackers and somebody else to coach the inside linebackers. I just don't know who that's going to be. Yeah. I mean, the Bucks ca- linebackers coach wants a promotion. Yeah. Give him one. Cause he deserves it. <laughs> yeah. I think the Cowboys um, interviewed Giff Smith, uh, a couple weeks ago and then yeah it, it came out that uh yeah he's officially not getting the lions job we haven't seen official confirmation that he's still with the chargers technically although there is a pro football talk article about it uh yeah God. but it's but it's totally based on what ronaldo hill said so <laughs> we we really just need to get ronaldo on the podcast and clarify <laughs> clarify what he meant because everything yeah he, he's open to can of worms here <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. Like this is going to be really interesting. We've seen him be go into the into the college route, uh, and you know, 
the running backs coach is, is from Iowa. You know, Ronaldo Hill mentioned a, a potential secondary coach, Derek Ansley, who used to be the Tennessee University of Tennessee defensive coordinator. So like maybe there's something there. Uh, I don't know if he's got a, another John Carroll connection or Dayton connection that he can pull from. Um, but they do need a new linebackers coach. It's a little unfortunate, but like, I, like I get it. If you're Joe Barry, like you get to go from coaching the linebackers, sure. be defensive coordinator. Uh, if I were the pack, like if I'm a Packers fan, I'm a little skeptical of that hiring, you know, yeah. because Joe Barry's last in his defensive coordinator, uh, did not go over too well. And the Rams could have promoted him last year and they chose to hire Brandon Staley. So I would be a little skeptical of that decision if I were a Packers fan. Um, but I think as a position coach, he did some great work with the Rams. Great. <laughs> let me know when the, I don't care. I really don't. Let this, me know. Uh, when whole, the, yeah. Let me know when it's on Google and I can actually see who's <laughs> on the team. Like, Wikipedia's page. I need to search. Like, just let me know. Yeah, I know. Honestly, like I totally understand why they were a little secretive about, you know, Brandon Staley's hiring. Sure. But, like, can we get some confirmations about some <laughs> position coaches, please? Like, every, yeah. like, We'll see a you know a Sports Illustrated reporter be like, oh, so and so is going to coach a such and such position with the Chargers, and then uh, that, okay, cool, like sounds cool. good to me. But like, can we get some confirmation, please? I mean, we'll probably see some acceleration on uh, the coaching staff, I guess, now that the season's over. So hopefully, we see some of that, and I'm sure we'll see some rumors percolate throughout the next couple of weeks, right before free agency starts. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. Schefter already has the Wentz bomb in his drafts. Um, but, you know, we'll see uh, how this all unfolds. I'm sure it'll pick up soon. Uh, I did just Google George Stewart, and it still says he is the current assistant head coach and offensive analyst. So yeah. I, I, I don't think that's true, but you never know. They haven't named one. They have. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yikes. I, uh, you know, someone pointed this out to me a few weeks ago, but like the offensive efficiency really kind of went down the drain once uh, George Stewart moved over there. So uh, please do not uh, keep him around. I'm shocked for one, honestly, that he's not going with Anthony Lynn to Detroit. Like, just don't understand like how that didn't happen yet. Um, all right. So, <laughs> you know, you mentioned the Carson Wentz thing. I cannot wait to see the next few weeks uh, of the NFL offseason. Obviously, I'm a little sad that football is over. Definitely going to miss watching games on Sunday. Um, but this free agency cycle is going to be insane. I expect Carson Wentz is going to be traded in the next few days. It seems like Deshaun Watson is going to be a much longer process. We'll have to see there. Um, but Sam Darnold is, is rumored to be moved pretty soon as well. Uh, so just cannot wait for the next couple of weeks. And uh, we're going to start doing some free agency breakdowns as well as draft profiles some film breakdowns on draft prospects. Um, in the meantime, this is going to have a wrap up uh, with the Benjamin Solak interview. Before we get there, Alex and Tyler, any other thoughts before we move on to that interview? Um, I like quarterbacks who beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. There we go. Oof. Well, you're about to get Nick Foles potentially. So yeah, <laughs> I'll take him. I'll take him. Yeah, last year of wins. Okay. Uh, the only thing I want to say is that the Chargers in a run first offense allowed 201 pressures last season. Let's fix that. Yes, could not agree more. So this is how we're going to wrap up. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Uh, if you're on YouTube or listening to this, keep listening because our interview with Benjamin Solmack was so, so good. Alex and I were able to learn a lot about Brandon Staley's defense and just how the, you know, the general consensus around this draft class. We asked him about you know comparing 
uh, Christian Derisaw and Elijah Vera Tucker, which was a great conversation. Uh, so definitely stick around for that. And the three of us will see you guys next time. Bye. Hey guys, welcome back. We are so happy to be joined now by Benjamin Solak, who is a, a senior writer for the Jaff Network and also covers the Eagles. So I'm sure Alex is pretty happy for this one. Benjamin, how are you doing today? Oh man, everything is delicious. Uh, it's, it's Super Bowl ramp up week. It's Carson Wentz rumor week. It's always a good time in the NFL. There's never a quiet uh, a quiet set of days. We're having we're having fun. We are having fun, man. And the, the quarterback carousel movement this year is going to be crazy. We've obviously already seen the Matthew Stafford trade. Um, what did you make of, of that trade for the Rams and for the Lions in, in general? And uh, just your general thoughts on on the quarterback movement this offseason? Yeah, Rams Stafford was was really a it's an interesting one when we talked about it on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, which is uh, which is one of the pods that I do. You, we like to say, you know, who won the trade and with the Lions Rams trade, you can definitely say the Lions won it. I don't know if you can say that the Rams lost it. I don't really know how to calibrate to what the Rams did, right? The Rams yeah. are kind of in uncharted waters and have been for a bit uh, with how aggressively they move on from contracts they no longer want, how willing they are to take on dead cap hits. We don't really yet know how to calibrate to that. We know they're making the playoffs. We know they're competitive every year, so they're probably doing something right. Um, but it, right. it's interesting to think about how long this thing's going to stick together. Uh, the Lions did the right thing. Stafford said, I, I, I want to go compete somewhere warm. And they were like, yeah, we get it. Uh, they were able to not only sell Stafford for good value on who I think Stafford is as a quarterback, but then also recoup even more by taking on the Jared Goff contract. That's exactly how you want to do it when you're on a multi-year, you know, arc thing about the Cleveland Browns with the Brock Osweiler trade a couple of years ago, be willing to take on bad contracts, be willing to take gambles on, on some young guys. Maybe Goff is something for them. Probably not. But if he's not, they've got two extra first and extra third. You know what I mean? That, that, that's how you build it out. So yeah. kudos to the Lions, kudos to, to that organization there with the Rams. I mean, they're the leader in the clubhouse for the most interesting team in the 2021 season. Cause this <laughs> yeah. is as, as much of an all in chips push as we've seen in the league in quite a while. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the uh, golf trade, obviously Wentz could be traded in the next 30 minutes. We don't know. Um, that could be a chip to fall Stafford, uh, as you mentioned, uh, all getting shipped potentially Watson, who knows? Um, but there's a lot been a lot of movement and just a lot on the quarterback carousel in general. So how do you think, um, I guess quarterback contract extensions uh, maybe sort of reset uh, going forward uh, with the golf and Wentz uh, type deals that they got. How do you think that that will shift around the league and maybe uh, in a future where the chargers have to extend uh, Justin Herbert at some point? Yeah, it's a warranted question. My best answer is I really don't think it changes much. I mean, if anything, we're going to learn that you can sign a golf extension and then move on from it in two years and not lose a lot of football games in doing so. If anything, we're going to learn that you can sign a Wentz extension and then still get a first-round pick for it, despite the fact that he played worse ball than pretty much every starting quarterback in the NFL last season, which yeah. is how it looks like this trade market's going to develop. It, it you know When you, when you have a, a quarterback who's potentially a franchise quarterback, and I'm speaking to you, Houston Texans, there's little you can do wrong. <laughs> in terms of giving that guy money and in yeah. terms of building around him, right? Like that is, as of right now, the silver bullet in the NFL. If you have that player, you're competing. If you don't have that player, you don't. End of story. So you got to invest in that guy. When, when the Rams signed the golf extension, they were right off the Super Bowl. When the Eagles signed the Wentz extension, they were all, they had the Super Bowl in 2017 and then 2018 when he was banged up and everything. But this was the, they, they had the high caliber play from those players and they wanted to see how long they could stretch that out. Both bottomed out. 
and both are going to get moved on from. The Rams, because they've been a, a well-managed and a well-coached team, are going to be able to uh, uh, take off from that and still make the playoffs next year, still be successful. The Eagles, not as well-managed, a lot more cap and a lot of other players. Uh, they're going to have to take a, a year reload, but there's a chance we see the Eagles with Justin Fields, Trey Lance, you know, one of these young quarterbacks off of their number six overall pick, you know, using extra capital they get from Wentz. Those early reloads don't indicate to me that you shouldn't sign big extensions. They rather indicate that when you do sign big extension, it goes poorly. It doesn't debilitate your team the way we previously thought. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and it obviously it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But uh, obviously this is a Chargers podcast. So I, I want to get your thoughts here. You just wrote a great article comparing Rayshon Slater and Panay Sewell and kind of breaking down how those two compare for teams at the top. Uh, it's going to be you know fascinating to see where those two end up. It seems like the general consensus for the Chargers is choosing between Elijah Vera Tucker and Christian Derrissaw, although I myself love Samuel Cosme. How would you, you know, if you had to go, you know, obviously not at length like you did in your article, but how would you compare Elijah Vera Tucker and Christian Derrissaw? Well, good players. Uh, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, before the season, I, I liked him as a good guard, and they said they're going to move him to tackle, and I said, oh, no, this is going to be bad for this young man's stock. This is not what he's meant to play. This isn't going to be good. Uh, He's good, man. That tackle take was <laughs> awesome. I, I, yeah. I, he really uh, exceeded my expectations playing tackle for the Trojans. I think that Elijah Vera Tucker is the best realistic target for the Chargers, full stop. Uh, Darisaw doesn't have guard experience. He's also he's a tackle build. He's got the length. He's got the height. He doesn't have a ton of mass to him. You could do it if you wanted to. Uh, but uh, to me, I think Vera Tucker has the experience at guard and tackle. That is not to say that the Chargers should take a guard and not take a tackle. Rather, it is to say there are so many gaps on that line, right? You, 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 Sam Tebby, you want to be able to replace or improve upon. Uh, Forrest Lamb, Dan Feeney, you want to be able to improve upon. How much can you trust Trey Turner, Brian Bulaga to put together 16-game seasons? These kind of issues, right? Yeah. <laughs> you need to be able to bring in a guy who can potentially start at multiple spots on that line, much like the Dolphins did in their past draft. Right? They bring in Robert Hunt, and they say, all right, you might be a guard for us, might be a tackle. We're going to figure it out when we get there. He ends up playing tackle with them, plays it pretty well. And here they are next season saying, we could still take a tackle if we wanted to and push Robert Hunt to guard. That versatility allows you to, to piece together your best starting five line when you know you need to improve upon multiple spots. That's a great So point. I like Vera Tucker for the Chargers in that way. With that said, I wrote the Sewell v. Slater piece. I will probably have a higher film grade at tackle for Darisol than I will for Slater. Uh, the league is clearly nuts on Slater. Uh, I don't think Slater's going to be there when the Chargers get on the board. If he is, great option for the same reason with Vera Tucker. Can play guard, yeah. can play tackle, whatever. Um, but Darisol has ideal build, unbelievable climber to the second level. A lot of the strengths of Slater are also strengths of Darisol. Darisol is just a, a more traditional size, and you can put more mass on him. Slater's not going to get heavier than 310. Darisol's already 310. You can put more on him if you wanted to. And so if you want to have tackles with big bodies, Darisol's going to give you that ability that Slater doesn't. Uh, and so to me, if you're dedicated to improving left tackle, Darisol enters the conversation. But I, if I were Tom Telesco, I'd want that versatility. I'd want that guard tackle interchange. And to me, that, that's Elijah Fair Tucker all the way. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we talk about some of the draft picks the Chargers can do. Um, I, I remember you tweeted uh, about the Chargers defense, uh, about the potential to put Derwin at star. Uh, obviously, that's uh, very appealing. Maybe you put Nasir Adderley deep. Uh, who do you think are some of the other guys that could break out on this defense? Oh, man. I uh, 
the the player that interests me most beyond like the obvious sexy ones now that Brandon Staley is the defensive coordinator there is Kaiser White because that star position that Staley plays or that Staley used Ramsey with with the Rams actually that star position that was popularized under him is very similar to the position that Kaiser White played at West Virginia way back in the day and this remember was like 2017 so this is when the league was like safeties can play the linebacker. This is nuts. You know what I mean? It was like, this was like a, a, a burgeoning idea. Kaiser White played that role. And, and accordingly, the league had some difficulty figuring him out. This was when the Chargers were on. They just started their kick of like, let's bring in a bunch of good 225, 230 pound athletes and just figure it out later. Right. Like we're going to bring in Derwin James. We're going to bring in a Chenna None of these guys actually have positions. We're just going to put them on the field and we're going to figure it out. It's going to be great. Kaiser White has, he has the ability to be, for the Rams, for the Chargers defense, excuse me, something the Rams defense never had, which is a really good coverage linebacker, a second level player who fills against the run, lines up in stack alignments, but can play in coverage successfully. When the Rams lost in the passing game, it's because Micah, Micah Kaiser and, and Kevin Young, Kenny Young, excuse me, weren't what you want, Troy Reader. They weren't what you want as pass coverage linebackers. So White can be that in a, in a very big way. Nasir Adderley is going to be critical as well. Because you rotate safeties in this system a lot. You line up in too high. One of those safeties comes down to the box. The other one doesn't. When we know Derwin James can come down to the box, no problem. We know that Derwin James can play high, no problem. We know Nasir Adderley can play high. That's not an issue. Nasir Adderley in the box is the question mark. Uh, And so when you look at the Rams and how they played their safeties, Derwin's going to take the John Johnson role and he's going to, you know, ramp the sliders up to 11. You know what I mean? John Johnson was good. Derwin's not. Nasir takes the Jordan Fuller role. He was their primary deep safety. Fuller was very impactful in that role. Adderley, I think, is going to be successful there as well. But when he comes down to the box, Nasir needs to be a good tackler. He needs to be physical. And there are times where Adderley plays very fast and very physical, and there's times when he doesn't. Uh, and so that's going to be that important spot for Adderley if he wants to break into that safety rotation. Obviously, three safety system, Rayshon Jenkins, you're going to have all that as well. But Adderley's role as a safety is critical in this defense. And the last question is, uh, when the Rams needed to – have number advantages. They just put Jalen Ramsey on a dude and then said, all right, we're going to cover the other guys with the other guys. Ramsey, you take this dude. You have no safety yeah. help. Knock him out. Chargers don't have that player right now. And that's where guys like Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan start entering the conversation at the top of the draft is because if you can get a true corner one, a true man cover eliminator, it gives you a numbers advantage to other sides of the field. And that's what the Staley defense wants to do. It wants to use elite players like Donald and like Ramsey to win one-on-one matchups, cover tons of ground. And then that gives you extra numbers with your other defensive players to find advantages on the other side of the field. Yeah, that's a great call. And I was actually, you know, going to ask about the the cornerback position because, you know, I, we'll have to see what they do with Michael Davis. I think they'll re-sign him. And I don't know if they'll have the fortitude to cut one of Casey Hayward or Chris Harris like they probably should. Um, so if they do take an offensive lineman, maybe an edge rusher at 13, who are some, you know, like second, third round corners that the Chargers that Chargers fans should be keeping an eye on because I think the general consensus is that there's the big two, you know, JC Horn, maybe, and then a lot of question marks. So who are some of your your guys in terms of cornerbacks in the second and third rounds of this class that uh could be potential options for the Chargers? It's not a great day two corner class. I, it's a it's a dense day two corner class, a lot of names how much you like him is up is up for debate. So there are people who, who are really into this corner class after Sertan and Farley. I'm not one of them. Uh, it worries me. 
uh, J.C. Horn is is the big name. He's a first round pick. He's a he's a grabby player. He's aggressive. I think he's going to draw a lot of flags in the league. And you can coach that out of a guy, but it, it's tough to do. Uh, and then you start getting into your Georgia duo, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, who played for the Bulldogs. Greg Newsom out of Northwestern. Uh, you're going to get Ifiatu Melifonwu out of Syracuse, Israel Mukwamu out of, out of South Carolina. Like I said, a lot of names. Oof. I think your best bet when you, okay, if you look at what the Chargers did success, or the Rams, excuse me, did successfully, it's impossible that Staley went from a Los Angeles team to a Los Angeles team. I cannot get the team name yeah. right. <laughs> no, you're good. About him. Uh, you know, Darius Williams and uh, and Troy Hill aren't the biggest dudes. They're more fleet-footed. They lined them up in off alignments. They let them close downhill. That's more so going to be the mold of your your Eric Stokes, of your Greg Newsoms. Uh, Greg Newsom, the second out of Northwestern, is probably my favorite of the Tier 2 bunch of corners. Uh, I don't know if the league's going to like him as high as the Chargers' second-round pick. Uh, Lance Zerline just put him in the back half of the first round of a mock draft, though, which is usually a good sign that the league likes him. So Newsom's really good for that role. Uh, Northwestern would press him, but body type wise and play recognition wise, he's built for that. Eric Stokes, really good play recognition wise. Paulson Adebo out of Stanford, good in off cover, good in zone, good with his eyes in the backfield. So those are more the archetypes you're looking for. Again, whether or not they get valued at that charger spot is tricky. We don't know how, how those guys are going to fall out. I don't think you'll see if Ayatu Melifonwu, Israel Mukwamu, Tyson Campbell, 6'2 plus, you know, 32 and a half inch, 33 inch arms. These are, these, are, these are the players you're going to see because they don't a fit the mold and B they have multi-year arcs, right? Like they're, they're probably not going to be as good in year one as they might be in year two and year three. And I think that Chargers defense with one or two good moves can be great right now. And so I'm not sure they're going to be drafting more of a project type corner. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously with the Chargers, we talk about corner. Uh, we talk about offensive line uh, in terms of things that they need to fix. Uh, other than the offensive line, because that's the one everyone talks about and everyone knows. Yeah, uh, right. What is the area that you'd like to see this team fix uh, the most? Ooh. Other than offensive line. I'm worried about Ingram and losing him in free agency. Uh, this defensive line for the charge or for the Rams, we talked about stealing numbers, right? Brandon Seattle's playing a numbers game, pretty much everyone on his defense. It was important that his defensive line was able to two gap. Right, You have to be able to play multiple gaps on the line of scrimmage. That's what allows you to have light numbers in the box and still be successful against the run, which is exactly what the Rams were. Jerry Tillery ain't that player. Wasn't at Notre Dame, hasn't been for the Chargers. You know, he, he wants to be upfield, he wants to penetrate, he wants to gap shoot. Limbaugh Joseph has been that player, but he's older and he's got one year left. Uh, Melvin Ingram isn't that player. They like to line him up as a stand-up B-gap rusher. Right, They put him in the line of scrimmage, twist him, stunt him, move him around. Rams rarely did that uh, with, with their base alignments. They ran a lot of stunts, twists, and games, but they like to do it with down linemen, right? And then Leonard Floyd on the outside. So unless you're playing Nick Bosa like you played Aaron Donald and playing him sometimes on an interior rush, he's going to fill that Leonard Floyd role, and it's not going to be available for Melvin Ingram, who's obviously a free agent. So looking at what the, the Rams did on the defensive line, it's tough to find one-to-one matches on what the Chargers have right now in personnel. And so I would say – the biggest position I always think about with the Chargers that doesn't get discussed as a critical ad, but will be at some point in the one to two year time frame is interior defensive line and, and, and defensive tackles who can handle space. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I gave him Tommy Tungiai out of Ohio State in a mock draft in the second round once. Like I yelled at, he'd be great. He'd be awesome for them. Yeah. Now that no one's here to yell at me for it because the podcast <laughs> comes out after I'm done talking. 
Uh, like that sort of a, a, a big body defensive tackle who can control multiple gaps. That's going to be a need for the Chargers eventually. You can usually get those players on the cheap. You don't have to spend a second round pick on them. You know, the, the Rams had Sebastian Joseph Day was a sixth round pick. Morgan Fox, who was a late round pick. You can get those guys late, but they're yeah. very valuable to what the Rams did under Staley. The Chargers will need such players uh, in Los Angeles as well. I was going to say, what would you think about um, if they let Ingram walk uh, and then signed Leonard Floyd, which has been sort of the the rumor uh, permeating around the Chargers right. sphere? I think Floyd will be cheaper than Ingram, so I get it. Again, my question is, how are you using Bosa and Floyd? The Rams very rarely had like two traditional edge rushers on the field. They did on like third mm-hmm. and longs. We you don't want to be building your team with heavy press free agents for third and longs, right? right. Floyd, they, they, they would use Darnold as a four-eye tech, as a five-tech, so lining up around the tackle, right, which Bosa can do. Lest we forget, like, Bosa is a big, big, big boy. He can line up inside a tackle and go take on a guard and be successful. Yeah. If you want to put Bosa in that Donald role, not all the time, but on pass downs, you can put him in that four-eye role where he's lined up between the tackle and the guard, and then put Ingram slash Floyd in that wide outside rusher role, go for it. If that's how you want to build it out. But you have to be willing to use Bosa in that way. I'm not sure I would be. I want to line Bosa out super wide as possible because Bosa's first step and his snap anticipation are bonkers. So you get that out of him. Now you need to start filling the interior defensive line. And then you don't have as much room to get value out of a Leonard Floyd or a Melvin Ingram. When you have a guy like Uchenna Nwosu, who is very similar like Obo Okoronkwo was for, for the Rams, he's, he's, he's not the same as Leonard Floyd, but he can line up in similar spots. I'd rather just stay cheap with Nwosu and, and keep that role filled with him, who I think is a talented enough player to play those sub-package snaps and then go yeah. spend your money elsewhere. So it's all about how, how you want to be dedicating resources here. The Rams knew what to do with Floyd. I mean, like they unlocked this kid. So if you go and you spend money on Floyd, they're going to get good production out of him because Staley knows what he is. It's how it affects the rest of the line. That's interesting to me. Yeah, that's some fascinating stuff. And and I know that Brandon Staley is so fond of John Johnson, and that would be an interesting Mm -hmm. pairing to, I don't know, like you said, obviously Nasir Adderley and Derwin James kind of filling that role. So we'll have to see. I I assume that Staley is going to get at least one or two free agents from the Rams because they were, you know, obviously so familiar and so successful with that with that scheme. And obviously, you know, it's going to be fun to watch how he, they use Joey Bosa because, you know, as Chargers fans, we've been so used to Joey Bosa to just getting double teamed all the time. And so like having a mind like Brandon Staley come in and say, you know what, right. we're going to get one-on-ones for you on every play. Uh, and it's just going to be fascinating to watch. It, it, like, I, I'm thrilled about the Staley hire. I was thrilled about the Dable hire and then it was Staley. And I was like, I don't know how to react to this. because This is also awesome, but <laughs> weird that they didn't bring in Dable. Yeah. Uh, uh, Staley's legit. Uh, I think that Staley's going to be a, a good for the Chargers defense. I think he's going to be a good head coach. I like the way he thinks about football. Uh, got to get offense right. You know, you got a rookie quarterback. That's obviously critical. But I, I think Staley's going to be good for that defense. Going to be good for Bosa. Going to be good for the star players. I expect him to do well. Yeah, we do as well. And we're hoping for the best, obviously. And Benjamin, we thank you so much for your time. This has been an been an awesome conversation. Learning a lot about how Staley, you know, is going to work this defense. And I think our listeners are going to enjoy this. Um, so what can Chargers fans, where can they find you? What do you have in the works coming up in the next couple of weeks? Uh, give us all the details there. Sure. Yeah. My, uh, my NFL draft coverage is at the draft network, uh, the draft network.com. So you can find all of our scouting reports, you can get um, access to the mock draft machine, pick for the charges, which is a ton of fun. Uh, we'll be doing, you know, we got live shows going on. We got the podcast locked on NFL draft, which you can find pretty much everywhere. Uh, so we got, yeah, this is our, uh, our season here, January to April is draft coverage. So we're excited to bring it on good stuff. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. 
and yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. We thank you so much for your time, and and hopefully the Eagles do uh, do well for your sake. I, I hope they're able to figure the situation. They're out. always interesting, and interesting <laughs> means clicks, and that's what we care about these days. <laughs> All right, Benjamin. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Yeah, take care, man. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.